Amen. So, church, I have a confession to make to each of you. Yesterday, I was very, very tempted by Satan himself. You see, I started off the day, and it was as beautiful as beautiful could be, other than it got a little bit hot. But you see, my wife sent me on a bit of a journey, and I went off to the store. But this is where temptation started to come in, because you see, I arrived to this beautiful store called Home Depot. And I walked inside of Home Depot, and as I was sent on a mission to gather a specific item, I saw laying before me a promotion that if I bought two batteries, I got a tool for free. And my heart started to wrestle in that moment as the temptation was swelling up in me to purchase these batteries and get these Free tool, this free tool out of it. I'm proud to report, church, that I did not give in to temptation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Although, I don't know what will happen if I go to that store again and if that promotion is still there. <laughs> so I better stay away, at least for now. I jokingly talk about this, and I talk about a temptation kind of, you know, at at expense to myself, but the reality is, is we've all in our lives faced situations of temptation, have we not? Whether we're young or we're old, we have these moments in our lives where we feel tempted. I think of my son and how he feels tempted in his life right now to maybe pound on his brother a little bit. Or I think of what it meant to be a youth and the temptations to talk back to my mom or, 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 or to get into trouble or to take something that wasn't my own. Or now I think about the temptations within my own adulthood to do things that are not honest or to say things that I shouldn't say. And I'm sure you think of the temptations that you have gone through in your life because you see whether you are young or whether you are old, there is something within each of our lives at different situations of our lives that nag at us, that entice us, that cause us to want to violate our conscience or what we know is right. Well, we're going to be concluding our series in this present darkness today. In order to do that, we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus and one of the temptations within his life. So as I said before, open up to Matthew chapter 4. And I want to remind everybody, just as a kind of a disclaimer as we continue in the series and now conclude it, that we maintain this posture of realizing that this series is meant to help us come away with a healthy biblical understanding of the enemy. Not to fixate, it on, uh, fixate on him wrongly or to in some ways become afraid of these topics, but rather to empower ourselves so we know how to fight. So we're going to be, in order to do that, we're going to be looking at Matthew 4. And if you don't know, Matthew was written by none other than the apostle Matthew. 
Uh, while we don't know the exact date it was written, it was most likely written in the mid-50s to early 60s, sometime around there. And some uh, historians and, uh, argue on, on exactly which gospel was written first, whether it was Matthew or Mark. But nonetheless, it's one of the earliest gospels that was written on the account of Jesus' life. And this gospel message was written by Matthew, the tax collector, one of the apostles of Jesus. And it's a really unique book in that the whole gospel unfolds this beautiful revelation of how Jesus is the coming Messiah. So in chapter 4, though, it marks an interesting transition in the book. Or if you didn't know, in chapter 3 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus had just become, or Jesus had just gotten baptized by John the Baptist. And now in chapter 4 is where we pick up from that story. So Jesus had just been baptized by John the Baptist. And now in verse 1, it says this. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2 and then talk about that a little bit and then finish out the following verses 3 through 11. So it says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would, I would think that would be obvious, Matthew, but thank you. <laughs> Now, I want to stop here because I think that these verses are important for us to think about. Now, you may have remembered that months ago, last year, we were in a series on the book of James. And while we were in the book of James, we came across this particular verse in verse 13, and hopefully it'll be on the screen for you here. And it says this, that when, te when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So what is, what is kind of the thrust of this verse trying to communicate? That God cannot be tempted by evil, as well as that God, what? He does not tempt anybody. But yet, if we look back to verse 1, what did it just say? That Jesus was led by who? By the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted. So, that kind of raises a question, for me at least, I don't know if it raises one for you, that how could these verses be saying things that in some ways look opposite from each other? That if God does not tempt people, and that he cannot be tempted, then why is the Spirit of God leading Jesus to where? To be tempted. After all, if Jesus is the perfect coming Messiah, why would the Lord lead him into a situation like this? And further, as Phil prayed today in the Lord's Prayer, why in Matthew 6, 13, would it have a phrase that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, if God doesn't desire for us to be tempted, and if God never leads us into temptation? How do we make sense of this? 
If Jesus was truly sinless, and if Jesus was pleasing the Father, why would the Spirit of God lead him into temptation? I think in order to understand this, we need to understand what temptation is. And, you know, in order to do this, I, I, I looked up a few different dictionary definitions on what temptation was. And in some ways, I, I, I kind of left that experience feeling like I don't think that, that at least what's on the Internet really nails what temptation is like. So I'd like to offer you my own definition of what I think temptation is at times in our lives. And I think temptation is the desire to act on something that conflicts with your conscience or something that you know to be right. So when you're tempted to do something wrong, it's a conflict of your heart. If there's something in, in, in your conscience telling you no, even though you want it to be yes. Or at the very least, something that you know to be right and you're tempted to do the wrong. And I think that is when we find ourselves tempted in our lives. When we know in some ways that there is a fork in the road and there's two paths to choose. And one of them is the path that we ought to go on. And the other one is the one that we know maybe God doesn't have for us. So it's under this circumstance that we think of temptation. And I'm sure that there are many moments of your life when you think of your own temptation. Maybe, men, it's when you also go to Home Depot <laughs> and you see those two tool sales that you feel a little tempted. Or maybe it's something more serious. Maybe your version of temptation is the kinds of thoughts that you think that are leading you into a darker direction. The lingering thoughts that we can entertain with ourselves and not just try to, as best as we can, push aside. Now there's a lot more that could be said about that because having a bad thought isn't necessarily sinning per se. Just because you have a bad thought, it's more so acting on that thought that could get you into trouble. But the reality is, is that all of us face temptation. In fact, I remember uh, when I was in youth group myself, around 15 or 16 years old, there was a kid within our youth group, and we met on Fridays for youth group, and it was always a lively crowd. It was amazing uh, to just grow up in a lively youth group of around 100 and something kids. And I remember there was this one kid, his name was Freddie. And Freddie, for whatever reason, every single Friday, because we, we were at one of those churches where they did an altar call every Friday, and every single Friday, Freddie was at the altar. But the thing was, is he would always come to the altar at the moment where they would say, if you've never accepted Jesus before into your life as your personal savior, I want you to come on up. And Freddie would be up there every single Friday. To where we'd all look time, what, what number of salvation is this for Freddie? 32, 47, I don't know, but it's every week. So one day, because Freddie was in our, our, our small group, we went up to Freddie and we said, Freddie, 
why are you getting saved every week, man? I'm pretty sure Jesus' blood covers you, and his grace is good enough. And Freddie said, man, I just get tempted so much every week, and sometimes I give in, and I'm just trying to be safe just in case. (laughs) Sometimes our situations are like that. Because you see, I think ultimately God doesn't desire for us to sin, even though at times we give in to it. But here's the thing, church, and here's something that I really want us to understand when it comes to the topic of temptation. is We feel that for whatever reason, the reason why I think we feel tempted is because we believe in our hearts that that thing or that person or whatever situation that we find ourselves in, that we desire for ourselves, that it will be good for us. You see, ultimately, I think that is why we have that conflict of the heart. Because deep down inside, whether we want to admit it or not, the reason why we are tempted is because we think that object of temptation is good for us, is what we want, is what we need. And for that reason, we feel the battle within our heart to do and follow what we think or at least what we've been told is right and then to do or follow what we feel is right in our hearts. And that's when we find ourselves, at least in my experience, at the height of what temptation can feel like when there's that conflict growing in our hearts. But you see, my wife, she's been working on gardening and it's been a wonderful thing i know you guys know that we're raising chickens well if you didn't know we're also raising some 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 plants i i i don't think i don't know what it takes to say we're raising crops but when i look outside i definitely don't see a crop size uh version of our garden but we are raising some vegetables in our garden and uh we've been raising some green beans and it's been great to just kind of go out there and pick out the pods and and enjoy that as a fresh snack and but it's pretty neat too because I I know many of you have grown up farming or at least have those kinds of ties but it's a pretty remarkable thing to see how quickly something dies when you pull it from the vine and this is where I think I want to take some time to to think about Jesus's life See, Jesus goes in and he goes to to fast and to engage in this fasting experience and he's tempted to pick a path different from his own and we'll get into that a little bit more. But what ends up happening when you pick those paths? Well, it's like getting cut from the vine and we never realize how quickly we wither. So looking at the life of Jesus in his temptation, I want us to continue to read the following verses. And Abel, I'm going to skip forward a little bit to Matthew 4. It says this. Jesus begins to become uh, tempted by Satan. It says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Verse 4, 
Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then what happens next in verse 8? Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And then Jesus replies, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. You see, some people would have you think that in this moment when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, that Jesus in reality is not being tempted at all. Similar to how if you don't really like sports, maybe you don't really like hockey, and you didn't take the time to watch the Stanley Cup uh, this past weekend and watch the Avalanche win the Stanley Cup, then if that is not what you care about and someone comes running up to you and, and, and says, I have some k- tickets to see the game, do you want to go with me? And you know that you have an appointment that day to take your kids out for ice cream, then what? You're not going to be tempted, right? Because you don't like hockey, you don't care, and it doesn't matter to you. Some theologians believe that this, is, this was the situation that Jesus found himself in. That he didn't really find himself tempted even though he was being tempted. Now for some of you, if someone came up to you with avalanche tickets to see the final game, you'd probably give up almost anything to see that. But that wasn't the case for Jesus, as some say. But you see, I think the problem with that is I think that undermines Jesus's humanity. And I think that undermines the real life struggles that Jesus would have found himself in when the word became flesh and when Jesus decided to dwell among us. And this is why I think option two is better and it makes more sense of what Jesus was going through. That Jesus wasn't being tempted by God, but rather Jesus was being tested. And that God was allowing this temptation to happen in his life to test Jesus before he would enter into his ministry. And you see, I think this makes sense because if you look at the word that's used here in the Greek, the word for tempted is pyradzo. And that literally means, or at least it roughly means to test, to endeavor, to scrutinize, to examine, to go about and prove. And yes, it sometimes also means to be tempted, but I think in very many ways, this is what scripture is saying 
that Jesus was put to the test. And I think this in some ways should encourage our faith because here's a problem that I sometimes see within the church and I've even experienced it within my own life that for whatever reason, when we look at heroes of the faith or when we look at quote unquote holy people like pastors or religious leaders or, or even the person of Jesus, that we wrongly think that their struggles are not like our struggles. That somehow, you know, for whatever reason, Peter did not deal with the same temptations that I deal with. Or that Jesus did not experience the same forms of, of temptation that I experience. That he doesn't know what it feels like to have your, your heart in some ways tugging in two different directions. And I think doing that in some ways undermines our ability to relate to the Heavenly Father. You see, the beautiful thing about this story that reveals a real life temptation in Jesus' life is because it allows us to look at the person of Jesus and say, wow, even you know what it's like to experience a conflict of the heart. But you show for us an opportunity of what it looks like to overcome. Did you get that? Do you see that? That Jesus affords us a glimpse at what victory looks like. At what being able to overcome evil looks like. And in very many ways, this story of Jesus being tempted shows us Jesus' heart was always in the right place. That even in a weak moment, and we don't know exactly what kind of fast Jesus committed himself to. Some people believe that it was only a water fast, that he, he withheld food for 40 days and drank only water. And I know some people that have done a fast similar to that. We don't know exactly, but we do know that it was restrictive in some form or way. And when you withhold something that you feel like nourishes you, then what happens? You're in a weakened state. And even in the middle of that weakened state, what does Jesus do? He chooses to follow the path that God has for him. But know this, the path that God has for him is not an easy path. And this story should encourage you because the path that God has for him is ultimately the path that's going to lead to what? His sacrifice on the cross. So if anything, this story continues to reinforce God's love for you. That he loves you enough that even in the weakest forms of his life, when he is on the ropes, he's still willing to please and choose the path of the Father, and he's willing to do that for the sake of humanity out of his great love. Vernon, J. Vernon McGee says it like this, that Jesus was not tempted to see if he would fail. He was tempted to show that he could not fail. See, Jesus would never give into that temptation. But that does not mean that he did not find himself in a tempting situation. So can God tempt us? The answer is no. 
But do we at times find ourselves in tempting situations? Yes. And the reason why I believe that the Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is not because God leads us into temptation, but because we experience in a fallen world situations that cause us to be tempted. Let me try to explain that a little bit better for you. Take my son, Theodore. If you know anything about Theodore, you know that he loves cars and trucks. I, it, that for him is what it means to live, is to find another car and truck that he could add to his pile. Well, as his father, there are certain aisles in Walmart I just do not take him down. <laughs> And if you're a parent, especially with young kids, you understand what I'm talking about. Because I know that as a father, if I were to bring him down that toy aisle, especially the toy aisle that has all the Lightning McQueens and toys from cars, he will lose it. And he will not be able to think of anything else but that little car that he desperately wants. And his temptation will be too great. And he'll grab the car and tell me desperately the whole rest of the day, if not, if I don't buy it for him, he's going to be in tears for a while. So I just do what? I avoid that for him. I take him down different aisles. If I think he's about to see a car at a store, I say, hey, look at that. And I try to point his eyes into different directions. And if you're a parent, you understand this well. When we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, in some ways we're, we're telling the Lord to not bring us down the toy aisle. <laughs> but Jesus, even in the midst of this great moment of temptation, because again, the stakes are high here. What is Satan trying to offer Jesus? He's trying to offer him a way out of having to suffer on the cross. Even in the midst of that, what does Jesus do? He stands firm, but how does he do it? Well, we've been singing about it all day. Even in the children's song that we uh, sang, and Roger, I can't remember how, how, uh, how you rephrased the song, but standing firm on the word of God. That's how Jesus does it. But make no mistake, how does Satan try to tempt Jesus? Well, I just said it a moment ago that he tries to tempt him by offering him something that will cause conflict within his heart. But he also does what? He uses the word of God. He uses the word of God. And that has been the history of how Satan tries to tempt people in this world, even to today. He takes a truth of God and he does what? He twists it slightly. So for Adam and Eve in the garden, he twists that truth Slightly, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that tree? And in our lives, he does the same. He takes something good and then he twists it slightly. Think about the world that we find ourselves in. The perversions of people's life. 
the things that people try to normalize and the reasons that they give to normalize those reasons. In some ways, they're all twistings of things that are actually good. And in our lives, we need to have keen eyes to discern ourselves for ourselves when truth has been twisted. And that's exactly what Jesus is able to do in this moment. He's able to rightly see God's word. And he's able to see that Satan, when he's tempting him, is twisting God's word. So again, look at how Satan tries to tempt him. He says that if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And what does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone. So he he quotes scripture back to him. And then Satan again quotes scripture to him and says, he will command his angels concerning you, quoting from the Psalms, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And then Satan says what? Or Jesus says what? Back to Satan. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when Satan realizes that he can't win by tempting Jesus, by twisting the truth, he tries to tempt Jesus by, by giving him what? Kingdom over the earth. And that's when Jesus just stops the conversation and says, away from me, for I will only worship the Lord. You see, we need to realize for ourselves church, the importance of resisting the enemy. And that's what this series has been about. It's about resisting the enemy and standing firm in our faith. Because, and here's the big idea for today, because I believe that when we resist the enemy, that we resemble Christ when we overcome temptation. That's how we look like Jesus, when we overcome temptation. And we need to be able to do that in our faith because by doing that in our faith, we are encouraging other people who have no ability for themselves to resist the enemy's attacks to see a better path. I mean, do you think of yourself under that kind of framework? That when you resist temptation, that you are better embodying Christ. And by doing that, you are showing Jesus to the world. I know for myself that I want to be able to do that better. I want to be able to, as best as I can, show my son, show my family, show my church, show the world that I can overcome through Christ. And I would hope that the same thing would be for you. And here's the beautiful thing, that there is not a single person in this room who can't relate to Christ. Jesus understands your struggles fully because he's the only one to have lived an entire life and had always said no when temptation came. Amen. So because of that, we can always come in confidence to Jesus, knowing that he can relate to us in our struggles, that he could guide us in our struggles, and that he can give us the strength 
to overcome in our struggles. But if we are to do that, we need to go to him. And we need to stand on the word of God. I think through doing that, we will find in ourselves a beauty that we did not know existed. A strength that we did not realize was there. That all comes from our Lord and Creator who loves us, who's given us victory, and who allows us through His Spirit to be the kinds of people to overcome this dark age. I think God is calling each of us to resemble Christ well. And if there's anybody here in this church who's maybe listened to this message and thought of the temptations in their current life that you are giving into, the things that you feel like you can't find victory in, I'd like to encourage and remind you once more to just confess that struggle to God, to ask him for the strength to overcome that, to ask him for the knowledge to understand his word and to ask him as well to help change your heart so that you will only desire the things that he desires for you. Will you do that for me? Let's pray.